Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. So good to see each of you here. I do have to say the Chapmanville Tigers did win their third state title since 2018. Just saying, you know, that's where I come from. Yeah. You guys glad to be here today? Amen. I'm excited. Man, so excited. Got a word for you today. We kicked off a brand new series last week entitled The Upper Hand, and we are talking about overcoming spiritual opposition. Um, And what we're doing is we're taking a unique look at how to overcome spiritual opposition by looking at the names that we have for our spiritual enemy. Um, And those names kind of reveal to us how the enemy will attack us. Um, This series was born out of really what God has been doing here at Bethesda Church over the last several months Uh, He has been moving um, mightily. PK mentioned it um, a few minutes ago about even last Sunday during the 11 o'clock service. I didn't think we would ever get anybody out of this room. Um, Nobody wanted to leave. The presence of God was just uh, so strong, lives being changed. And each week we are seeing every week people get saved. We're seeing people get healed. We're seeing people uh, get delivered. That is... um, something that is new for many of you, uh, but we are seeing people set free by the presence and the power of God. And, um, and you know, with all that being said, I know for some of you, you are right now in a season where you are facing spiritual opposition. You are facing your spiritual enemy. And we understand behind every evil person, every evil act, we know there is a very real spiritual enemy. And last week, the first name that we looked at of our spiritual enemy was the name Lucifer. That was his first name. And this name reveals how the enemy works in our life through pride. Worship, though, is the antidote to pride. Satan didn't move from humility to, um, to uh, pride. He, he moved from worship to pride. And so if we want to defeat pride in our life, one of the quickest ways we can do that is through praise and more. I tell people all the time, there's something about praise that will knock pride out of you. There's something about worship that won't allow you to, to keep a, a posture of pride. And so we, we defeat the enemy through our worship. Today, we're going to look at a second name of our enemy, and that is the name devil. Everybody say devil. All right. And with devil, we are talking about lies. Okay, how many knows that, that, that the devil is, in fact, a liar? How many of you know that, right? He is a liar, and he, he works in our life, and he comes against us many times through lies. Now, Scripture's very clear. Whether you want to believe this or not, you are in a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy, and the way you live your life will determine whether or not you get the upper hand or he gets the upper hand. Now, Paul said that one of the reasons why he wrote to the New Testament church, he gives us the, the reason for it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He said, in order to keep Satan from getting the upper hand, that's where the series title came from, 
to keep Satan from getting the upper hand over us, for we know what his plans are. So Paul's saying scripture reveals not only God's plan for your life, scripture also reveals the enemy's plan. The enemy has a plan for your life. And so the reason we need uh, scripture is so that you and I can have the upper hand. Now, when it comes to spiritual matters, we have to lean on the scripture. We have to lean on the word of God. And I want to I tell you why we have to, to make sure it is our foundation is because if we don't allow the scripture to guide us when it comes to the arena of spiritual warfare, we will end up either in, in one of two extremes. We, we will either become skeptical or superstitious. I want to explain what I mean by that. Skeptics are the people that believe that we don't really have a devil we're fighting or demons. They, they don't want to really talk about that or acknowledge that. They become skeptical of it. But the problem is, is that if we take that stance that we don't have a real enemy and that the devil is real and that demons are real, it also means that we don't believe the Bible is true and we believe Jesus is a liar. Oh, I got a whoa right there. All right, so we become skeptical if we don't have scripture as a God. The other end of that extreme is superstitious, which means you see Satan and demons behind everything. You pull into Walmart and you don't get the parking spot you want, and you say, The devil's out here fighting me. How I many of that ain't got nothing to do with the devil? I gained 15 pounds, the devil's wearing me out. That ain't the devil, that's you. Listen, we, 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 can't, we can't cast the flesh out and we can't crucify demons. You have to cast demons out and crucify your flesh if you're going to have victory. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Two totally different. So we got to discern uh, and, and let Scripture be the guide. Not everything's a demon, all right? I get it. But there are some things that are. And you got to be able to discern it so that you know how to, to keep those attacks from uh, the enemy getting the upper hand in your life. And I want to say this real quick. You will never defeat an enemy that you deny exists. That you will never be able to defeat it. And so we got we to gotta start with the premise that there is more than what meets the eye. Yes, we're flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual realm that is just as real as the physical realm that we can see and touch. Um, and so we need a balanced approach. My prayer for this series is that you will arrive at a place where you recognize the devil's real, demons are real, but the word of God is also true, and I have victory through the blood of Jesus and the word of God, and I have the upper hand over the enemy. I don't have to live in defeat. I don't have to live discouraged. I don't have to live beneath my privileges that God has granted me, but I can have everything that God says is mine. So the first, the first rule for any battle is that you and I know our enemy, right? Any battle you're engaged in, the first rule is to know your enemy. And the name devil speaks to how the enemy lies. He uses lies to gain the upper hand. And there's no better place to see that than the first interaction that the devil had with humanity. 
After God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in a garden of Eden. We understand that. And it was a place they could work. It was a place that they could enjoy God's creation. But ultimately, God's design was that Adam and Eve would know him and have relationship with him intimately. And I want you to know today, even in 2023, God's number one objective is that he have a personal, intimate relationship with you. And the enemy wants to do everything in his power to prevent you from knowing God intimately. And and so you got to understand this whole thing hinges on the concept of relationship with God. Now, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them all these wonderful trees, all this wonderful stuff that they could take from, they could eat of, they could enjoy. There was only one rule in the garden. There was one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. God said, that one tree, I don't want you to touch. Now, this is so important that you understand this. God gave them all kinds of options, but there was one tree, he said, don't, that's not an option. And this is important because God was introducing to us the concept of free will. How many know God does not make us into robots that automatically obey? God always gives us free will, which means you and I have been given the right by God to choose. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There was a choice made. Today, you choose whether or not you're going to serve God. You choose whether or not you're going to go to heaven. You choose whether or not you're going to go to hell. It's all in your court. He gave us free will, and we decide how that's going to play out. And so Satan, because Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, after the likeness of God, they were a constant reminder to Satan of his defeat. And so he crafted a plan to come against them to ruin this paradise that they were living in. And in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want to stop here before I get to verse 2 because this is a pivotal detail that gives us the first glimpse at how the enemy approaches us. He could have been any animal. He could have chosen any animal. He, he could have been an elephant, a giraffe. He could have been a lion. He could have been a lot of things, but he chose a snake because a snake is stealthy. A, a snake works behind the scenes. He did not want to be announced. He did not want to be seen. And I think sometimes it would be a whole lot easier if the devil showed up at our front door and Hi, I'm Satan, and I'm here to destroy your life, right? Like, it would be so much easier if he just knocked on the door, introduced himself, and said, hey, I'm here to wreck your life. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he comes covertly to sabotage our minds. And some people don't even recognize that the devil has been messing with them until after the damage has been done. And then in hindsight, we look back and say, man, that was the enemy, And what I want to prevent, I want you to see him coming before he comes. I want you to be able to detect when the enemy is coming against you, not until, you know, the aftermath. And now we know. I want you to know ahead of time and be prepared. So in verse 2 it says, he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Um, Again, God gave options, one tree don't touch. Free will is introduced. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit 
from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It turns out that the devil lives by the mantra, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because it is the same playbook he's using today. The same exact playbook he's using today uh, that he used against Adam and Eve. And he accomplishes this, this whole, you know, I'm going to sneak in and I'm going I'm to distance them from God. I'm going to get them to question God. He does this by a couple of things. One is, is he twists God's word. Satan always tries to twist God's word. He, he said to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? He, he wants to twist it. Here's some ways that God's word is often twisted in 2023. People will say things like, God is love, and we know God is love because there's always an element of truth when the devil is trying to twist God's word. God is love. We get that. But people will take God is love as that means I can do whatever I want to do, and there are never any consequences. Do you see there's an element of truth, God is love, but we use it in a twisted kind of way. I can do whatever I want, there's not going to be any consequences. Um, People will say things like, well, Scripture says, thou shalt not judge. And they use that because they don't want any guidance, they don't want a leader in their life, they don't want anybody telling them, here's the standard. The Bible actually says that we are to judge, but we are to judge righteously. That's what the scripture says. But we will take a a scripture and twist it. God wants me to be happy. People will say that. And that means I'm, I'm allowed to be selfish and live according to my own feelings. And we take an element of truth, but we twist it to fit the narrative that we want to portray, the lifestyle that we want to live. And so Satan started with Adam and Eve by twisting, has God said, by twisting God's word. And secondly, secondly, He attacked God's character. This is important because what Satan was saying to Adam and Eve was God doesn't want you to be like him. In other words, he doesn't have your best interest in mind. That this God you serve who puts you in paradise, he's actually holding the fun back. He's keeping you from, from what you really need. He twisted God's word and he attacked God's character. And, and here's the thing that happened. From that moment, Eve began to wonder. She began to question the goodness of God. And, and, and here's the thing I, I need you to grab from this. Satan wants us to, he wants to twist God's word and attack God's character, ultimately causing you and I to question God's goodness. Okay, I want this to sink in. Because when we question God's goodness, it becomes easier to disobey his commands. If you don't start from the premise that God is good, it's a whole lot easier to live in disobedience, but we just need to go ahead and debunk the lie and the myth of the devil and his ability to twist scripture. Let's go ahead and make it clear for the devil and everybody else to know God is in fact good. That's a great place to give God a praise right there. He is good. He is good. So they they begin to question the goodness of God, and they disobeyed. And we pick up the reading in verse six. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I'm just going to stop and insert here. Uh, This is why we still fight in our marriages over what we're going to have for dinner right here. It's all happening right here. And verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. Naked here implies that their eyes were not only open to good and evil, but it also implies that they knew in the moment they did something wrong. And, and listen, here, here's a real key. You, if, you're, if you write in your Bible, this is where shame was introduced. Adam and Eve had never felt shame, had never known shame until this moment. And now they are ashamed about what they have done. And, and we, know th- we, we understand that because it goes on to tell us, we'll read it in a minute, that they hid from the presence of God. When, you're, when you live in shame, it will cause you to run from God instead of to God. But I want to encourage some people today that have been feeling the effects of shame and guilt and condemnation. Don't let that push you away from God. He's still a good God. And you need, you need to cause that to push you towards God into the presence of God, not away from it. Now check this out, they're, they're naked, they're ashamed, and let me just say this about, because a lot of times, how I many deception is so bad because when you're deceived, you just don't know it, right? That's what makes deception so dangerous. And, and the question we gotta ask with this entire story is, is how powerful are the enemy's lies? How powerful are the enemy's lies? And I'm not trying to give the, de- the devil credit, but I want you to think about this. He convinced two perfect people living in a perfect place with perfect lives. He convinced them that the God who created all of that was bad. There was no problems. There were no issues in the garden. Everything was perfect. Their lives were perfect. They had never known a struggle. And Satan convinced them that the God who created all that was somehow bad. And I think sometimes we were harsh on Adam and Eve and and how they were tricked in the moment. But how many times in our own lives, even though God has saved us, and delivered us, and healed us, and given, given us a job to provide for our family, and our kids love Jesus, and our health is intact, that we can have all those things going for us and somehow think our life is not good. The devil is a liar. We need to give God praise for everything he has done, for everything he's doing, and everything he's going to do. In Adam and Eve's case, the damage was done, and God came down, and he, he found his kids hiding in fear. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it says, Adam answered. He said, I heard you in the garden. He's talking about God. And I was afraid because I was naked. In other words, I was ashamed. So I hid. And he said, I love this, who told you that you were naked. Who told you 
that you were naked. See, God never asked a question to get an answer. He was teaching them, but he was also teaching us that anytime we stop listening to our heavenly father and we start listening to our enemy, we give the enemy an, an upper hand in our life. And I believe the same question is what the Holy Spirit is asking many of you today. Who told you that you are depressed? Who told you that you couldn't finish the degree? Who told you that you should give up on the marriage? Who told you that you'll always have anger and always be addicted and always struggle in your faith? Who told you that you don't have a purpose? I never told you that. I told you I'll be with you until the very end. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll carry you from one season into the next. I never said that. Who told you that? It's what God had that. Who told you that? And so many times we sit around pondering the lies of the enemy and meditating on the lies of the enemy, not understanding that as we entertain them and as we think on them, they are forming strongholds in our mind. That's what the Bible refers to as strongholds that come through our thinking, our thought life, because we have listened to the enemy's lies. If you're living less than God's best, listen, you're probably listening to the wrong voice. Somebody needs to hear God's got good plans for you. In Jeremiah 29, he said emphatically that I I know the plans I have for you. Plans to bless you and to prosper you. Plans with, with a hope and a future. God's got some great things in store for you. But if you sit around meditating on the lies of the enemy, you're going to give the enemy the upper hand and you're going to live a life less than God's best. Are y'all getting anything out of this right now? I feel like preaching a little bit, just a little bit. I want you to see this. I want you to see that I'm going to give you three things today. Three understandings to regain the upper hand over the enemy's lies. Number one, you have to understand the mind is the battlefield. The mind is the battlefield. We don't fight flesh and blood. We don't. The mind is the place where the battle takes place. And the devil is working overtime to take up real estate right here. He wants space right here. He wants space in your mind. He wants to be able to control your thought life. The name devil comes from the Greek word diablos. And and I'm giving you a Greek definition because I think it's very, very important that we understand this because this word diablos in Greek is a compound word describing repeatedly hitting something like a wall until that wall is penetrated. Diablos, devil, it's, it's repeating this, this hitting motion until something is pinned. It would be like me going back to the back of the room and just putting my hand into the drywall over and over and I just keep hitting it and hitting it until eventually I'm able to penetrate through it, all right? Now, now follow it. It's a picture of how the enemy will repeatedly try to hit your mind with lies hit your mind with accusations, hit your mind with suggestions, bombarding you with damaging thought after damaging thought. And here's what you got to understand. The devil doesn't need all of them to stick. He just needs one of them to stick. He'll throw a hundred at you, but if he gets one to stick, that's all he needs. How many, one lie 
can ruin your life. One lie can cause you to settle for less than what God has for you. And this happens when we entertain one of the enemy's thoughts. And the longer we repeat the thought, the more power it gets until eventually it becomes what the Bible calls a stronghold. And I know I spent time on Freedom Night talking to you about the children of Israel while they were in Egypt, they were building, they were using the bricks that, that Pharaoh gave them to build him something, but while they were building Pharaoh something physically, he was building strongholds in their mind. And, and so when it comes to deliverance, we've been seeing a lot of deliverance here at Bethesda Church, and we celebrate deliverance. It's, it, it, it's an encounter that happens immediately. And it's not even so much a power encounter as it is a truth encounter. That when we get honest with God and we submit to God and we surrender, listen, the devil can't say he's got to go. The, the, the problem is not the deliverance many times. The problems is the strongholds that need pulled down after the enemy has left because when the enemy was was there, he forms a way of thinking in our minds that sometimes takes a while for us to pull them down. Takes a while to pull them down. Deliverance is immediate, but pulling down strongholds, you're going to be pulling down strongholds the rest of your life. You're going to constantly be reprogramming this and thinking the right thoughts. It's a continual bat battle. And so a stronghold, in a short definition, is an enslaving thought or belief that does not line up with God's word. Any thought you have that doesn't line up with the word is a stronghold. If it's not biblical, it's a stronghold. Anytime my mind argues with the word of God, I have now uncovered a stronghold. And you say, well, pastor, I don't argue with, some of y'all, you don't know it, but your face tells me you argue with the word of God. I get up here and preach, and I can preach on the love of God and how, how much he loves you and how much he's, you know, he gave of himself to be in relationship with you. And some of y'all just sit there with that victim mentality thinking there ain't no way he could love me. You, he, you know, you don't know, Pastor, what I've done and how many sins I've committed, and you don't know how many times I did the same thing over and over and over. And, and, and instead of just receiving, yes, God loves me, you battle against it like there's no way he could love me. What is that? That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold. I can talk to you about God wanting to bless you if you'll put God first in the area of your finances. And some of y'all are like, oh no, he's talking about money again. There ain't no way I'm giving God anything. What is that? That's a stronghold. Any area of my life that, that I am arguing God's word, that has become a stronghold. And this is a big deal because whoever controls your thoughts controls you. If the enemy can control what you think, what you think about, he can control your actions. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, he said, we are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. We, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So Paul says, it is your job to control your mind. I'm, I'm going to say it in a way you can really grab this. God does not control your thoughts. The devil does not control your thoughts. You are the gatekeeper of your mind. 
and you're going to decide what comes in and what goes out. And so when the devil comes in with a lie, there is a critical moment where you and I are supposed to stop those thoughts and say, this thought, as it comes in, the moment it does, I've got to take that thought captive and ask the thought, are you here because you're serving the purpose of Jesus and you're in alignment with God's word? Because if you're not, you got to go and I got to cast that thought down. Now, here's the problem. You have hundreds of thoughts every single day that the enemy throws in your directions and you got to take them one by one and either if it's of God, I receive it, but if it's of the devil, I got to know how to pull that thing down immediately. And listen, I'm a pastor, I preach, and every day, you know what I have to do? All day long, pull down wrong thoughts. Diablos, repeatedly, accusations. Repeated, wrong thoughts. Repeated things that he throws at you. And you got to recognize this is not in alignment with God's word. I'm pulling this down. I'm not meditating on this. And listen, if you don't take every thought captive, those thoughts will take you captive. Every thought. You say, well, pastor, I can't do it. I just can't do it. My mind races, and I've I've tried to pull them down. I've tried to overcome. I I just can't do it. I want to say, yes, you can, because in John's gospel, chapter 19, it says, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. So when Jesus was crucified, the cross was placed on the top of a hill that looked like a human skull. Every detail of Jesus' life was planned by God. And God could have chosen a heel that looked like a hand. He could have chosen a heel that looked like a heart. But he chose a heel that looked like a skull to demonstrate that the cross gives you and I complete victory in the place of battle, which is your mind. Which means you don't have to live in deception, depression, or doubt. Jesus paid for your mind to be at peace and to be protected from a You don't have to live with strongholds of anger, insecurity, and worry. The cross has already pre-decided that you are victorious in the area of your mind. I need y'all to get loud for about 10 seconds if you believe Jesus has already predetermined your victory. You can do it. Come on, high five somebody and tell them you can do it. You can do it. So we understand the mind is the battlefield. Secondly, we understand the word of God is a spiritual weapon. Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the the sharpest two-edged sword. Now, we got to ask, if if this is a spiritual weapon, we, we must ask, why, when it comes to believers and their relationship with God, why are some, why are some Christians, why are they overcome and devoured and others are not? And the answer is real simple. Some are armed and protected and some are not. Faith in God's Son makes you saved. 
Faith in God's word makes you safe. We'll say that again. Faith in God's son, faith in Jesus makes you saved. But faith in God's word makes you safe. Some of us, even though we're on our way to heaven, the devil's having a field day on us until we get there. Because we have not understood the power of the word of God. And the devil knows that if he's going to defeat you, he must first disarm you. And there's two strategies that he uses to disarm you. One, he wants to get you to doubt that the Bible is true. He wants you to doubt that it's true. Um, some of the popular lines in, in our culture, um, people will say things like this about the Bible. Well, you know, it's, the Bible, it's out of date. People back then, they don't know what we know today. The Bible's just out of date. For some people, they, they literally say the Bible is fiction, that it's not relevant to real issues. Some people will say, you know, the Bible is up to your interpretation, however you want to read it. And the truth is, is that all the authors wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes, which, which tells me the Bible is not outdated. The Bible is actually transcendent. That means it applies to all cultures, all generations, all races, and in every situation. The Bible is not fiction, but the Bible is fact. It is the most studied and most researched book in human history, and it's proven to be historically and prophetically true again and again. And the Bible is not man's opinion, but the Bible is God's standard and in it the truths on sin, righteousness, marriage, and life have not changed and will never change. That's a good place to just put a little amen on it. You all know what I've been saying a lot lately and it's weird coming from a pastor, from a preacher. You know what I've been saying? What does the Bible say? Over and over, I just keep going, what does it say? Either we believe it or we don't. Either we take all of it or none of it. I, I can't tell you how many times in the last couple of months as things have come up, what does the Bible say? Because sometimes we know what the Bible says, we just don't want to do what it says. And what I love about just coming back to what does the Bible say is that it simplifies things that I complicate. Because if I'll just do the Bible... God will handle it instead of me being perplexed and confused and everything's complicated because I'm trying this route and that route. Let's just get back to the basics and ask, what does the Bible say? Because at the end of the day, heaven and earth will pass away, but God said, my word will never pass away. So Satan will try to get you to doubt the Bible is true, but he will also try to get you to keep the Bible at a distance. That's why King David said in Psalm 119, he said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In essence, he was saying, I have stored your word up in my heart and, and I'm going to keep it close so that I'm battle ready. I'm battle ready. I'm going to keep the word close so that I'm battle ready. The reason some of us are getting worn out by the devil is because you have no idea where your sword is. 
some of y'all, let's just, let's keep it real. Let's just keep it real. Like it, it, something comes up, a battle comes up, and you're like walking through the house. Honey, where's the Bible? Is it in, is it in the drawer? Is it on the shelf? I know when PC dedicated to the kids, we got an extra Bible. Where's the Bible? And we treat it like some old dusty book. That, and, and now we got it on our phones, which it's really great to have it here. But the problem is some of you know, you know exactly where Instagram is. You know exactly where Snapchat is and TikTok is and Facebook is. But you don't even, like, honey, where's that Bible app on here? Oh, I'm coming. I'm up in your living room. Some of us are living like the Bible is some dusty old book. And when it comes to the enemy, you need to know that God's word is a weapon of mass destruction. That his word is nuclear. The enemy has never feared your opinion. He has never feared my opinion. But the enemy trembles at the word of God. Some of us need to get the word back out. We need to find our sword again. We need to start speaking what God has said 40 days of fasting and solitude Jesus was weak malnourished and could barely stand yet he defeated the enemy with three verses three verses and he had complete victory over the most evil being to ever exist. A child who uses God's word is as powerful as any preacher because the power is not in the person the power is in the word it's in the word. And you can be powerful if you'll learn how to work the word of God. So we understand that the mind is a battlefield. And secondly, we understand that the word of God is a spiritual weapon. And number three, we need to understand biblical meditation provides the upper hand. What do you mean? Some of y'all, like when you hear meditate, you think of like monks in, the, in a mountain, in a cave, rocking back and forth. Meditation is, is about taking in the word of God regularly and rehearsing it and speaking it out. Um, when we take in the word of God regularly, it reprograms our brain. It reprograms our mind. A computer, all the computer people in the house, you know that a computer has both hardware and software. The hardware is the actual physical components of the computer that make everything work, but the software is the program that makes the hardware function. In other words, the software tells the hardware what to do. Your brain is the hardware. Your thoughts are the software. All right? Ever since Genesis chapter number three, our minds have been infected with a virus called sin. Ever since Genesis chapter three. And it causes us to think and function in ways that we were never designed to think and function. But when we meditate on the scriptures, we are actually downloading antiviral software. Come on, y'all help me out. Antiviral software that properly reprograms our brain. So to meditate means to continually, regularly consume and think on the word of God. It's why in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses six and seven, it says, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts 
impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Four, four components here. When is the best time to meditate? Anytime, anytime's a good time, but he outlines four times when it's especially helpful to meditate on the word of God. When we get up in the morning, that's a great time for you to meditate on the word of God. And one of the reasons why that's a great, how many know that the way you start your day determines a lot about that day? And, and the enemy would love for you to start, some of y'all like, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. No, you didn't. You woke up and didn't start with the word. And, and, and so when we wake up in the morning, the enemy would love to get us started on the wrong foot. So when I get up, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to take in God's word regularly. I'm also going to do it when I lay down at night. I love this. Sometimes I'll fall asleep quoting scriptures in my mind. You say, why do you do that? You're a pastor, you're a preacher, you ought to be good. No, the enemy likes to come at me at night too. Some of us, we lay down to go to bed and what we're overcome with fear. You start worrying about things that are gonna happen this upcoming week or tomorrow or, and then all of a sudden you, you're, you got anxiety laying there and then all of a sudden it's been two hours and you haven't fallen asleep. How I many of that's not God's plan for you? He said, take no thought about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough concerns of its own. In other words, be at peace. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to meditate on the word. When I lay down at night, I'm going to meditate on the word. And then he says, when you're sitting around doing nothing. How many know the enemy loves to attack you when you're bored? He said, so take in the word of God. And then he adds in when you're traveling. Some of you on your way to and from work, that's an opportunity for the enemy to throw the thoughts at you. And that's also a great opportunity for you to rehearse and meditate and take in the word of God. As the worship team comes to the, to the platform to help me land this plane, the key is if we're going to have the upper hand, not only do we need to remove the wrong thoughts, but we also need to replace them with the right thoughts. And what I love about God's word, when you really get into God's word, it will take out the wrong thoughts and it will give you the right thoughts. The word of God will reprogram the way you think. It will reprogram. And listen, I'm going to say it again. God doesn't control your thoughts. The devil doesn't control your thoughts. You are the gatekeeper of your thought life. And, and listen to me. Your thought life eventually becomes your real life. What we meditate on is what we become. What we think about. The Bible is very clear that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We become what we think. Our thoughts lead to actions. Our actions become habits. And those habits form our life. Some of us simply need to reprogram our mind with the word of God. And it is so powerful. If you will just, every time you have the wrong thought, replace it with the word of God and watch what God will do. Listen, God wants to set the captives free immediately, but God also wants to work on pulling down all the strongholds that the enemy left behind in your mind. He wants to pull all of those down. I want you to stand with me all over the room this morning. The word of God has the power and the potential to move you from insecurity to true identity in Christ. 
It has the potential to move you from fear into faith, to move you from seeking the approval of people to living for an audience of one. Listen, the word of God is powerful. Sometimes when we're praying for people to get delivered and the demon don't want to leave, you know what we do? We quote the word. Come on, y'all, smile. We speak the word. We declare the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's what God said. The word of God will break off doubt, depression, anxiety, and it will move you into a place of power. As we reprogram our minds with the word of God, we can expel every single lie that the enemy has brought against us. We can live free from strongholds. And ultimately, we can have the upper hand. If you receive the word of God today, can you give Jesus a hand clap this morning if you receive it? Come on, James, you can grab this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for the next couple of moments. Father, I thank you for your word today. For every person that's here, God, for every family, every person that's here in this room, God. And the truth is they've been battling in their thought life. God, we just pray that today would be a mark in their life, that you would mark them from this day forward. God, that our minds would truly be reprogrammed by the word of God, that strongholds be pulled down, imaginations be cast away, and God, that we would become everything your word says that we are. We thank you for setting us free, but we also thank you for giving us the tools to live free. I pray over this room right now, God, for any person in it, that is not in relationship with you, God, that today would be their day, this would be their moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're in this place, say, Pastor, I'm not in right relationship with God. I know I need to repent of my sin, turn to Jesus and follow him. I need to make some things right today. If that is you, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but if I'm speaking to you right now, you say, that's me. I want to leave this place differently than I came in. Would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I need Jesus to save me today. I need his grace. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. One over here. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in this room. We're just going to pray out loud so that we can all pray loud enough where we can hear it with our own ears. We don't want anybody to pray it alone. Our compass directors are going to follow up with you, give you some information and give you a next step. But we're going to pray with you because we've all been where you are. And I want us to lift our voice today and pray this together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to save me. I repent for all my sins and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Come on, give God a praise like that's your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your cousin, your neighbor, your boo. Come on, give God a praise. Come on, you can do better than that. That's life change. Come on. Serve a good God. I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff if you'd go ahead and get in place. We're going to open up the altars this morning for a time of prayer during this last worship song. And I want to encourage you to make the altar a normal experience. All throughout scripture, we see altars was a place of exchange. It was a place where many times one thing would die so that something else could live. And I don't know what that means for you, but whether you're sick in body, you've got something going on, whatever it may be, you may need deliverance. You may need a healing, a physical healing. You may need just God's guidance or direction. Take advantage of this time. We've been seeing God move powerfully in our altar, altar uh, moments. And our team, they're excited to pray with you and for you. Um, how many are glad you came to church today? Come on, let's give Jesus one more praise as the worship team comes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.